In chapter 52 of the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu says, Keep your mouth shut. Guard the senses. Your heart will find peace, and life is ever full. Open your mouth. Always be busy. Your heart will be troubled, and life is beyond hope. But what does it mean to guard your senses and not be constantly busy when life just is busy? How do you keep a calm mind when life keeps throwing curveballs and your inconsistent schedule keeps you constantly on your toes? How do you do this when every time you turn around, there seems to be a new face to greet, a new task to be done, and a new need to be met? I'll freely confess that I have not done a great job of this in the last couple weeks. And I've fallen into the trap of measuring my performance by reflecting at the end of each day at how many times I've failed. But the Tao Te Ching is not about living in the past. And incidentally, neither is Christianity. Both of them encourage us to live fully in the present, or what a famous theologian calls the eternal now. When we live in the eternal now, we learn so many things. But one of the most powerful for me has been to learn to count victories by the number of times that I remember to guard my senses and keep my heart at peace in the present moment, instead of counting the number of times that I fell short in the past, even when the past only means a few hours ago. And suddenly it is small acts of repentance and not moments of failure that become my anchor. This is part of what this chapter calls practicing constancy, or practicing eternity. Intriguingly, both of those words are valid translations of the same Chinese character. And so today, I invite you to join me on a journey through this chapter, where we explore all of the meaning behind this concept in the Tao Te Ching, that ancient book of Chinese wisdom and spirituality that didn't draw me away from a Christ-centered faith, but actually helped me hold on to it. Hi, my name's Corey Farr, and this is episode 38 of A Christian Reads the Tao Te Ching. In this series, I work through the Tao Te Ching from beginning to end and talk about all the ways in which I have found it to be impactful and even very profound for my life as a Jesus follower. And if that's a little bit confusing, if you haven't listened before, the best way to start is to go back to episode one, which is sort of an introduction to the whole series, gives an overview of what the Tao Te Ching is, how I found it, and why I am doing what I'm doing here. You can also go over to the blog if you're more of a reader. Head on over to my site at coreyfar.com. There's a link in the show notes, and you can read uh, kind of a, uh, basically every episode has a blog post that's sort of a concise version of what I talk about on the episode, and so that's a great way to catch up as well. And you can actually find a link to the series introduction post right on the homepage, so it's easy to get there. And also, don't forget that if you are enjoying the show and you want more, you can go ahead and go over to my Patreon page. And there's, again, a link in the show notes for that. And if you subscribe as a patron at the $5 a month level or higher, you can get access to exclusive episodes every other week uh, where I've been musing on various topics um, outside of the Tao Te Ching, but kind of in the same spirit, talking about things that uh, are kind of heavy on my heart spiritually or things that I want to ponder 
and it has provided some great opportunity for conversation and dialogue with the patrons. In today's episode, though, we're continuing last week's discussion. If you remember last week, I started talking about chapter 52, which is a really a complex chapter. It follows Latsu's pattern of starting at the vague and abstract by talking about the Tao. And then it gets down into the Te, or the virtue of the person in touch with the Tao, and talks about some very practical ways in which that manifests in our lives. And so that's what we looked at last week. We moved from the the general principles to the more specific in talking about Tao and Te and talking about finding unity. So finding um, that the way in which the Tao or God demonstrates universe uh, demonstrates unity and shows us uh, the, the principle of unity in the universe can then impact how we interact with ourselves and those around us. And it was a very um, powerful episode for me, but today actually I'm even more excited then about the content from last week, we're going to dive into the last section of this chapter, which actually opens up a door to talk about repentance and forgiveness. And I know uh, when you first read the chapter, it may not be obviously there. And uh, I will freely admit, I sort of took some liberties to get there. But as always, I bring the Tao Te Ching in as a conversation partner and not as a slave master. And so I'm not uh, beholden to the text, but I have certainly found the text to spark lots of inspiration in me regarding faith. So we may end up a little bit away from the text today, but I am very excited about the topic. I'm going to talk about repentance and forgiveness from really <clears throat> a new light than anything that I have um, I sort of considered those topics in before. So let's go ahead and dive right in by hearing that chapter again. We'll hear the whole chapter uh, again, if you didn't listen last week, this is part two, but it's not 100% necessary to listen to last week first. So if you'd rather just keep listening now and these topics sound interesting to you, then feel free. So let's hear chapter 52 now. The beginning of the universe is the mother of all things. Knowing the mother, one also knows the sons. Knowing the sons Yet remaining in touch with the mother brings freedom from the fear of death. Keep your mouth shut, guard the senses, and life is ever full, and your heart will find peace. Open your mouth, always be busy, and life is beyond hope, and your heart will be troubled. Seeing the small is insight. Yielding to force is strength. Using the outer light, return to insight, and in this way be saved from harm. This is learning constancy. So if you're following along in the text, you're going to notice here that I'm actually going to skip two lines as we move into this final part of chapter 52. Now, those two lines are beautiful, but to be honest, they recap themes that we have addressed so many times on the show before uh, that I'm more interested in the last section. But just so you don't miss them entirely, they say, seeing the small is insight and yielding to force is strength. Or in another translation that's a bit more vivid and that I really love, it says, to bend like a reed in the wind, that is real strength. Which certainly sounds very uh, Christological, actually. Um, and, and reminds me of the character of Christ. A third translation I also like says, Cherishing the insignificant reveals great 
profundity. Aligning with the fragile confers great strength. And so these lines, they are worthy of contemplation, but we have talked about staying attentive to the small things. We've talked about the concept of yielding strength many times in the show before, particularly back in episode six, where we talked about Lao Tzu's view of water as the strongest force in the universe. But today I want to take a look at those last three lines to close out our journey through this chapter. The driving idea in this section is a return to the constant and eternal virtues of Te in touch with Tao. But the meaning behind these lines is really mysterious, and it's well worth being explored as the numerous different translations indicate. And so, as I said before, my interpretation is going to be far from orthodox as far as Tao Te Ching scholars would go, I'm sure. Uh, but again, it is a conversation prompt for me. The TTC is not the driving force behind the notes of this show. It is certainly the inspiration for them, and it is what I'm following. But I feel uh, free to take artistic license or to take liberties when I cover different topics. But let's go ahead and start hearing those lines. Um, you did just hear them in the reading I did. But there are many different translations. And so the one you just heard was from Jeff Fung, and that's a fairly literal one. And the literal ones tend to sound very similar to this. He says, using the outer light, return to insight, and in this way be saved from harm. This is learning constancy. But let me go ahead and compare that to Stephen Mitchell's translation. So we'll do a side-by-side here. Fung says, using the outer light, return to insight. Whereas Mitchell says, use your own light and return to the source of light. Fung says, and in this way be saved from harm. Mitchell kind of keeps that idea the same. Um, And Mitchell, actually, sorry, the other translations keep it the same. But as I look here, Mitchell actually skips translating that line. Not sure why he does that. But the last line is really um, interesting. Fung says, this is learning constancy. Mitchell says, this is practicing eternity. And so the first and last lines of this section really gave me a lot of trouble. But they finally unlocked for me the very night before I had to finish prepping for this episode. Um, And again, it's different from what I think the chapter intends, but I'm really uh, excited about it. But the thing that gave me this big idea was the very last word in the chapter. As you just heard, Fung says consistency, but Mitchell translates it as practicing eternity. And to me, that sounds like a big difference at first. Other translators tend to use either one of those two words, or they actually can even make it into a proper noun, and they call it uh, practicing or staying true to the constant with a capital C. But what really surprised me and then jump-started my brain was when I saw Jeff Pepper's translation, and he translates it as, this is practicing your normal routine. And when I first saw that, I'm like, what? Like, that feels a whole lot more down-to-earth than the other translations, but it also feels... Uh, rather different from eternity and constancy. But it got me thinking about something. It got me thinking about repentance. Okay, to be honest, my brain didn't jump immediately to repentance, but it was only a few steps away. The first thing that I thought of when comparing the words eternity and consistency and daily routine was this phrase that I mentioned in in the introduction, which is the eternal now. 
And now this the eternal now tends to be a new age term, and it runs the gamut of descriptions from simply being totally available to the present and all of its potential, which is what we talk about in this show, whereas for others the eternal now can be about being fully in touch with all of the past and future at the same time, which is something rather different. But the eternal now is not just a new age term. It's also the name of a book, or which is really a collection of sermons, by theologian Paul Tillich, who was a brilliant and influential philosopher and theologian from the early 20th century. And I'm going to confess, I don't know much about Tillich, and I have not read The Eternal Now, but I had heard the phrase before years ago, and I've heard it several times, and it really resonated with me. And so without knowing a whole lot about what Tillich originally meant by the phrase, the words that, as I heard them, got me thinking that for Christians, eternity and constancy can and should be merged in a sense uh, with what Pepper calls practicing our normal routine. Let me say that again. In our normal routine, there is a sense in which eternity and constancy should be merged in that moment. We live in the kingdom of God, which is paradoxically now and not yet. Or to put it differently, it's already here and it is yet to come at the same time. And if the kingdom of God is truly among us, as Jesus said, even as we eagerly and expectantly await for its full consummation when Christ returns, then we are in a very real sense able and we're even obligated to live that constancy and to live that eternity in the present moment. This is the fundamental transformation that happens when one becomes a citizen of the kingdom. And even though we tend to use holiness measuring sticks, like stopping bad behaviors and acquiring new virtues, or we use boundary markers like reading your Bible and praying every day, we tend to use those to define what it means to be adopted into the kingdom. But the real fundamental characteristic of Christianity is this ability to live in the liminal space of the now and the not yet, or the paradoxically eternal now. And this is where my brain got to repentance. Instead of measuring repentance and holiness by behavior or by boundary markers, returning to insight or the inner light that this chapter talks about could possibly be a much better description of repentance. Returning to insight or returning to the inner light could be a better description of repentance, or at least post-conversion repentance. And so by inner light here, I don't mean something that we possess in our own selves apart from Christ, but I mean the flame of the Holy Spirit, the spark of the image of God, or the brilliance of the resurrected Christ within us. And that's why I think this is best used to describe what ongoing repentance looks like for those of us who have already given ourselves over to the kingdom, is because it is about returning to that flame of the Holy Spirit uh, that is within us, or the brilliance of the resurrected Christ within us. And so I believe that connecting this with last week's episode, that this is what it means to understand and to take on the qualities of the mother God, like the first section talked about. And it is expressed practically every time we are reminded to guard our senses and practice wisdom, which is what the second section talked about. And so this repentance is, first of all, it's part of our daily lives. 
and therefore it's about what some translators call constancy. But it is also about the other translation of that word, or eternity, because it is sacramental. It's an action in which heaven and earth meet in a special way. But all of it, when we deal with this kind of repentance, is in the now. Derek Lynn translates the final line of this section as practicing constancy, but he actually defines that similar to the way that Pepper translates this as normal daily routine. Lynn's commentary says, Practicing constancy is the application of discipline in our lives. Constant practice of the Tao involves repetitions and reminders until the wisdom becomes second nature. And so if I could co-opt Derek Lynn's words into our own discussion here, we might say that repentance needs to be a constant practice, a practice of repetitions and reminders until it becomes second nature. True repentance might seem repetitive, but that does not necessarily make it a rote activity. The sacraments, especially the Lord's Supper or Eucharist or Communion, whatever you call it, they are repeated reminders of powerful truth. They use elements of everyday life, of our everyday routines, like bread and wine or juice, but they are places where heaven and earth meet in a special way. And since the word sacrament is not even used in Scripture, some may think it's sacrilegious for me to call talk about this kind of repentance as a sacrament, but the word sacrament's not used in Scripture, and so I think we have some freedom to play with what exactly is a sacrament. And I think that if we can grasp repentance as a sacrament, then we're going to make a huge leap forward in our understanding of it. As I said in the beginning, we can then start to recognize that we can count the number of times we are reminded of our brokenness and change our perspective In other words, each time we practice the sacrament of repentance in the eternal now, we can count those as victories rather than counting the number of times that we fail to do that as failures. And although I hadn't read it before, as I said, I was actually able to find a copy of Tillich's book and read the sermon uh, that gave it its title. So the the sermon, which is called The Eternal Now, uh, is way too complex to summarize here, but in it, Tillich talks about how for Christians, both past and future are constantly redefined and reframed in the present, which is both always passing and yet always available to us. And so this constantly passing present is an opportunity uh, for Christians to have the past and the future redefined. For Tillich, repentance in his sermon is not about atoning for the past, It is about letting the past be the past and keeping it in the past. So it means, among other things, that we lock up poor decisions and bad behaviors in the past. But by this, Tillich is not saying that we should erase the past, okay? Many people will talk about repentance and forgiveness in terms of simply forgetting it or sweeping it under the rug or saying things like, God doesn't remember any of your sin. To me, this is very problematic, uh, sort of an aside here. Uh, to say that God does not remember my sins. So this is like saying, like, wait, God cannot really love me if he knows what I actually did. I find it much more compelling to love and worship a God who knows what I did and has chosen to accept and forgive me anyway. To me, that makes the love so much more profound. But that's an aside. Uh, Tillich is not saying that we should erase the past with our view of repentance. It's actually the opposite. He 
for him, as I said, he says the past is constantly being reframed and redefined in the present. And so the past is essential in his view, because although repentance leads to forgiveness, Tillich, from this view, takes a profound new idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness, he says, is not just about covering the past, but about changing the meaning of it, transforming it and transposing it into a blessing and not a curse. He wrote this, or actually spoke it, in the sermon that he originally gave. He said, It is the blessing that changes what seems to be unchangeable, the past. It cannot change facts. What has happened has happened and remains so in all of eternity. But the meaning of the facts can be changed by the eternal, and the name of this change is the experience of forgiveness. If the meaning of the past is changed by forgiveness, its influence on the future is also changed. The character of curse is taken away from it. The past becomes a blessing by the transforming power of forgiveness. So that's really profound, but if you read the whole sermon, you will understand that the blessing given by this transforming power is an essential part of what he calls the eternal now. But sadly, in both our view of repentance and our view of forgiveness, we tend to try to escape both the past and the present by eagerly grasping at the future. A theologian, uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar, once identified impatience as the root of all sin, as he looked back to Adam and Eve's grasping at the fruit in the Garden of Eden. He wrote these words, God intended man to have all good, but in God's time. And therefore, all disobedience, all sin, consists essentially in breaking out of time. Hence, the restoration of order by the Son of God had to be the annulment of that premature snatching at knowledge, the beating down of the hand outstretched towards eternity, the repentant return from a false, swift transfer of eternity to a true, slow confinement in time. Patience is the basic constituent of Christianity, the power to wait to persevere, to hold out, to endure to the end, not to transcend one's own limitations, not to force issues by playing the hero or the titan, but to practice the virtue that lies beyond heroism, the meekness of the lamb which is led. In the same way that Lao Tzu tells us to guard our senses, Balthazar tells us to keep our hands from snatching at the future in an attempt to grasp eternity. Instead, he demands patience in what he calls the true, slow confinement of time. And this patience, he says, is at the root of all Christianity, because it is intimately tied up with the ability to live in the kingdom that is both now and not yet at the same time. It is also intimately tied up with repentance, which is the ability to slowly but consistently plod our way through our struggles and let the past be transformed in God's timing. And lastly, it is intimately tied up with Christian virtue, because it represents not the roaring lion or the conquering hero or the overachieving preacher, but instead the sheep of the flock 
the consistent traveler, and the patiently faithful saint. And even though we've ended up a very long way away from the words of Lao Tzu, I think that if he were here, he would nod and he would say amen. Because I think that if Lao Tzu met Jesus, he would have loved him too. And so to all my listeners who have made it this far and are still with me, I pray that each of us continue down the long, slow road of becoming better sheep, more consistent travelers, and more patiently faithful saints. Grace and peace. Thanks so much for listening to this episode today. Uh, I know it's a little bit shorter than normal, which I'm sure um, nobody's complaining about too much. Uh, Originally, this was actually supposed to be part of last week's episode, and so I prepped all my notes for chapter 52 and realized I had about an hour or possibly more worth of material, and so talked to a friend, asked him if that would be too long. He said, yeah, I think you should do two half-hour episodes would be better. And it saved me uh, some time of having to work uh, really hard this week and prepare for another episode, so that was great too, as my life has been pretty crazy. So thank you for listening. Uh, As I said at the beginning, you can always go over to my blog and check out the Tao Te Ching series and also lots of other articles that I've written. The blog is currently on hiatus, but there are lots of articles on Christian theology and faith and spirituality and church critique, evangelical critique, all kinds of different things. And there's plenty of stuff there to keep you reading for quite a while, even though I'm not posting anything new right now. And also, as I said in the beginning, If you enjoy the show, I would really appreciate it if you head over to check out the Patreon page. Uh, There are a lot of cool benefits, different tiers, anywhere from $2 a month to $15 a month, all kinds of different access to benefits there. And all of that goes to support me as I live and work in the Middle East at an orphanage and work at a school for Syrian refugees. And so I, I thank you so much for listening. I love my audience. You guys are amazing. I love hearing from you, so feel free to feel free to reach out anytime. And uh, yeah, until next time, just want to wish you uh, a great Advent season as we enter into um, the time where we eagerly anticipate God not only to come in as a child, but to come again and to save and redeem all things. After all, that is what Advent is all about. And so as we keep that in mind, I pray that we are able to learn from those ideas of repentance and forgiveness to allow our perspective to be transformed as we talked about today. But until then, may we continue to persevere in faith and hope and love. And I will end this episode the way I always do, with the greeting that Paul so often uses in his own letters, grace and peace. <laughs>